Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I'm Russell Tovey. And I'm Robert Diamant. And this is Talk Art. Welcome to Talk Art. How are you, Robert? Today, Russell, I am feeling laid back and cosy uh. and comfy. And I've been hanging out mm. on my own for a number of days in my house. And it got me yeah. thinking about the designs, the interior designs of today's guest, which are mm. known for around the world for being incredibly elegant and chic, but at the same time, very livable and laid back and comfortable. Would you say they were cool, calm and collective? Well, I would say they are casually elegant. Actually. Oh, okay, very good. That's yeah. like you, basically. I, seriously, that's the reason I know we're going to get on so well with today's guest. He is interior design royalty and has designed houses all over the world, but predominantly in America, where he's based. And we're speaking to him today, I think, from New York. And he's also mm -hmm. based in the Hamptons and has done many homes across America, but also London. I saw he did one in London, which was super exciting. So closer to home. I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah, very cool. So we would like to welcome to Talk Art, Robert Stilling. Hi, Robert. Good afternoon, gentlemen. How are you? <laughs> good. How are you? We're really good. Good. I'm great, too. Very, very chill and laid back in my apartment in Soho. Awesome. That's amazing. So what's, it's snowing there, right, at the minute? We already had snow. It's, we have a little bit of snow still on the ground, but no, no snow today. That's good. Well, we're all we're all completely locked down here in the UK. Tier four. Every country is shutting its borders to us. We're like hemmed in. We are Wuhan. Uh, well, we <laughs> could be next. Right so, now. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy times. So we find you in New York in your apartment that uh, we would have seen featured heavily on your Instagram feed. Um, Absolutely. What's it like? for you in your apartment today? What, what, you, what are you surrounded by right now? At this exact moment, I'm in my guest bedroom that is also sort of a home office and became more of a home office during COVID when I was uh, quarantining here for the first two and a half months. And we are surrounded by uh, a beautiful custom bed that I designed in cashmere from Laura Piana, a fantastic 1960s Scandinavian desk, and a lot of art on the walls and on the tables and a whole mix of Well, let's, talk, let's talk about the art. What, cool. what art have you got up there? 
I have a beautiful 1960s, um, it's not really pop art. It's very graphic. Uh, it has dimension to it. It could remind you of, of like a, a minimalist Frank Stella. And the artist's name is Sven. I can't think of his last name. <laughs> it's a fabulous, <laughs> fabulous painting that I found uh, from a friend of mine who's an antique dealer. And it wasn't particularly expensive. And I just saw it and I was like, wow, that is amazing. I could see Axel Vervoort having this, you know, in Belgium in the castle or oh, blah, wow. blah, 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 blah. So I bought it for like Well, you're gonna, you're, you're going to have to talk about that reference uh, you've just brought up then because sure. a lot of our listeners will not know who Axel Vervoort is. And that's spelled H-J-O-R-T-H is the surname, isn't it? Is that how you say it's, it? it? Vervoort, it's V-E-R-V-O-O-R-D-T. Got it. So tell us, tell us about him. Uh, Axel is, you know, uh, from Belgium, from Antwerp, and he is sort of like uh, created the, what you would call the Belgian look, kind of that has been widely, widely copied, copied all over the world, particularly by Restoration Hardware, by, by lots of people. But no one does it like he does. And the thing that I would say is unique about Axel is that he creates this incredible mood that's um, a combination of like the, the history of Europe, the uh, minimalism and sort of depth of, uh, the, uh, of Asia mixed with contemporary art and just like incredible furniture, you know, mm. 18th century, 20, 19th century, 20th century, 21st century. And he just, his, his work is very soulful and very kind of like old school on the one hand in classic with strong architecture, but also uh, very, you know, 21st century at the same time. I don't, I don't and know if that makes and also sense. He, but... he, has, um, he has booths in art fairs now. I think his yes, family have, have a, a gallery, don't they, as well? where They, they can... do. Yeah, his son Boris runs cool. the gallery in Antwerp and uh, they do shows all over the world and they also do design fairs for Axel Vervoort because he has this incredible... Um, it's it's not really a shop. It's like a it's hard to say. Like I mean, their their home not so much anymore, but their home um, is is basically a castle, and they call it the castle. And for years, that was kind of like you would go to their house and you would see this incredible, beautiful castle filled with furniture and art and everything, and everything was kind of for sale. And then later, they bought this place called the Canal, which was this old sort of industrial grain uh, storage place, and they turned that into their studios and these incredible galleries filled with furniture and art and uh, everything was you know for sale and um, which wow. later which is still there but that also became eventually uh, a real estate development and they worked with all the sort of best architects of the day and created like this beautiful real estate complex with residential living and etc cetera, etc cetera. Wow so it's like you're buying into a lifestyle. Uh, the way you're describing that then, which feels like is is kind of when we come to Robert Still in Designs and we look at your interiors, you're kind of projecting yourself into this lifestyle that you're creating. Absolutely. In fact, it's funny that you say that because I tell people that that's what I do. I create lifestyles for people. I create their mm. lifestyle, not not like a not a pre-prescribed one, but one that's yeah. unique to them. So how does that how does that work then? How do you get clients then? If you're sitting down with a client and and you have to assess what their style is and you're not imposing your 
um, taste too much onto them. How does how do you set that up? Well, it's most of my clients come to me through referral, so there's always some kind of generally some kind of a connection. Not always, but most of the time that you know sort of establishes a certain sense. You know, if they are familiar with my work and they liked other people's houses or apartments, then then that's a good start. Um, mm-hmm. And then after that, it's really about me sort of spending time with them and getting to know them and being around them. And I just have this visceral ability to absorb people and to listen to people and absorb what they say. And I ask them a lot of questions and I just get a sense of uh, who they are, how they want to live, etc. And it's almost as if I say it's visceral because when I'm out shopping, I... I, there's this part of me that becomes them, like I'm shopping for them, even though it's me and I'm editing it from my perspective as well. It's really kind of like, I mean, I never went to school for architecture or design or art or any of these things that I do. And so for years I just did it and I never thought about it. And then as I got older and I got a little bit more accomplished and more recognized, people started asking me to talk about stuff. And uh, I, you know, I had never thought about it, but and then one day, what some editor said to me, Robert, you can't just keep saying the same thing. You need to get a little deeper. <laughs> so these kinds of things that we're doing right now, you know, over the past 10 years have allowed me to sort of like understand what I do more. And it's sort of that. It's, it's yeah. really uh, I absorb people and then I give them back the, a better version of themselves. Yeah, it's like you're an interior clairvoyant. You're channeling <laughs> them when like you're building <laughs> <laughs> their homes. You know, I've always found it really interesting with Russell because he's he's the person that got me into interiors, and there's definitely something connecting to his acting like job. Um, right. You know, in the way that he sort of inhabits different people's personalities and characters in his roles, and also the film sets. And when when he got into what what you do, because he was showing me a lot of your um, interiors that you've done for different people's homes um, about a year ago now or so. I remember thinking that they, they almost look in photographs like film sets. There's something really like filmic about what you do. And there's a they're kind of real. like... They're very real, yeah. And, and also like the lighting in them and the textures. And I often see, see that you've got like mohair carpets or, or mohair rugs and things. Like there's all these kind of... Rob loves mohair. I love mohair. I like alpaca even better. And oh, really? I like cashmere is like probably my favorite so and i'm very into like texture and the way things feel and really like the first and foremost thing that's the most important to me is comfort like if if Mm. i make something that's beautiful that's not comfortable i failed and i think that you know a, a lot of people who aren't my clients have been to a lot of my clients homes and you know things come back to me they call me or whatever and they're like you know wow you know that that house is got a great art collection, but like, it's so comfortable too. I didn't want to leave. That's what I do. That's what, that's, those are the kinds of things. I love hearing that because, you know, it's, that's a success. If you can have all these amazingly beautiful sculptural, architectural, you know, things that you surround yourself with, but you can have them in a way that you can also live your life and you can do a zoom call with, or you can do a a podcast with people in London, or you can do a zoom with someone in LA, or you can have a dinner party or whatever, but you can be comfortable all the time doing that. You can, you know, play tennis and still sit on the sofa and, you know, whatever it is, all those kinds of things. Like that's a successful life to me. It's not just about making it, you know, good looking. Yeah, well, I've got a quote here that says, I like homes to feel very real. I'm not interested in creating show places. Correct. That's true. 
Yeah, because well, all your images, it's like there's piles of books. There's, there, it feels like someone's just gone, get out of the picture, I need to take a photo of this. It feels like <laughs> it's, it's, it's kind of, it's, just, it's happening. It's like, it, that, that's what's so beautifully styled around your, uh, your interiors. So how did, you, how did you get into it? Because I've heard this amazing story about you having a shop and then someone buying everything from the shop and then saying to you, design my 6,000 square foot house. And you're like, uh, okay. It's true. Well, so, well, there's, it's actually two stories. Um, mm -hmm. So there's one story, which is true of, I, I think I, I'd had a shop in Palm beach for maybe like six months. And then I closed it over the summer when this is back in the days when Palm beach really closed up. And then I reopened it, had a new debut the next season in a different location, which is this stunning uh, Meisner house in a via called Via Parisian Palm Beach. It was owned by this very like sort of eccentric, super wealthy couple. And the, the lower level was very suitable for a shop and they lived on the five stories above it. Anyway, it had these you know, beautiful architecture, whatever. Anyway, so I, I'm, I was opening up on a Saturday, I think with a party and maybe on Monday, Tuesday, I set the place up. And on Wednesday, this, um, very recognizable woman named Mrs. Ma Ms. Maxwell. I, I'm going to say that because I could never pronounce her first name. Who's, you know, been quite famous. Jelaine. In the news. Yes, exactly. Oh my god. She came in and she was looking at my store and she was like, "I like that and I like that and I like that and I like that." And it happened to be a bunch of things, but in particular, a lot of upholstered furniture. And I was very new to this business. I wasn't even doing design at the time, and and I, had, you know. You had to order this stuff. I wasn't going to sell it off the floor. So I was like, okay, great. This is fantastic. Like, you know, it's be four to six weeks. And she said, oh, no, I want, I want this delivered to my house tomorrow. <laughs> so here I am, like, ready to open oh my, my store. And she's sitting there saying, basically, I want to buy almost everything you have. And I was like, oh, no, you know, like, what do I do? So, of course, I sold it yeah. all to her. And she bought it and was all yeah. delivered to Mr. Epstein's house. So there's that story. That's <gasps> a true story. Oh, and my then, God. Is that, out, is that out in public? Is that something you've spoken about before? I don't think I've ever said it on a podcast before, but I've definitely <laughs> oh, wow. said it before. <laughs> oh my god! Wow. Yeah. Yes, it's breaking. It's breaking news. <laughs> you heard it here. Wow! <laughs> it's a scoop. Um, and you, have you ever seen any of your your interiors in the background of any of these like incriminating photos? No, 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 not that I know. Oh, god. But, uh, okay. it, it, but I didn't like all I did was sell her the furniture. She was really putting it all together, and I, I never we, we were we were not even allowed in the house. We like got a truck, we brought it all right. over there. It was it was put in, and Good. that's the way it was. So then, then the the second story is that yes, somebody came into my shop. I don't. I think it was maybe later in that season, like probably like uh, March or April, and they liked a lot of stuff and they bought it and they said uh, we just bought we like all this stuff and we bought a house. Could you help us? And so that was my first kind of job. And uh, that sort of was the initial getting into interior design. And now it's been 30 years. Yeah, it's been 30 years. I did it and, and it went really well. And then I sort of was like, well, how do you, how do I, if I want to be a designer or interior designer, how do I do this? And so I started researching it, and which was a lot, not as easy as today, but not that hard. Um, and I f kind of figured it out and I figured out like, oh, well, if people want to be designers, they do show houses. So I did, I, I, I tried to get into this show house, which was kind of like a, at the time I was married and uh, to a woman 
and it was kind of like controlled by this gay mafia and they were just not having it. They were like, uh, no, we're so sorry. We're full. We have no rooms for you. <laughs> so, okay, fine. I got booted. And, um, and then a couple of weeks later, the guy who was the head of it called me and said, Oh, uh, someone, there's a room available now. Obviously someone had dropped out and he knew that I had the resources to do it. And he was like, would you like to do it? So I did it. It, it got a lot of, uh, attention, but that was it. I never got a job. Nobody called me or whatever. And then maybe six months later, this woman called me on, you know, some, a, a, a June morning and said, uh, I, I have an apartment in Palm beach. It's a penthouse. It's 5,000 square feet with 2000 square feet of terraces. I saw your work at the show house last fall and I liked it. And I'm looking for a young designer who's ambitious. And, you know, are you interested? And I met with her and I ended up doing the apartment. And the thing that's interesting about it was that that was my first really big project. They definitely, I was ambitious and they definitely were looking for somebody, you know, young and less expensive. And I learned how to do construction on that project. But mostly that was my first foray into serious art. They, you know, were contemporary art collectors and um, she kept telling me the whole time, like, you know, I'm not showing you the art. You can come and see my house and you could my other house and you can see my apartment and see the kind of art I have. But I'm not showing you any of the art. Just do it. I want to change it all the time. And then I did and we did it. And, you know, at the time in Palm Beach, people were still mostly collecting like impressionistic art and all that kind of stuff. And very few people were con- collecting contemporary. And mm-hmm. they were kind of you know, most people were like, what is this weird stuff? But that collection in the early 90s had Sam Francis, Frank Stella, Nan Golden, uh, Cindy Sherman. Uh, just I could go on and on and on. They had a Leland Sheep, which nobody was buying then. <laughs> on and on and on. So that was my wow. first real big job working with art, and uh, which was a really you know unplanned and great opportunity. It's interesting because I think your career has actually kind of grown during a time when the two disciplines have really come together more than ever before. Because I think with the development of, even if you think of like Design Miami and the art fairs and how how that's all now being positioned like directly, you know, side by side. But I read you um, in another interview discussing this idea that like it's a total natural fit because, you know, if you're going to be interested in collecting art, then you will also be interested in in thinking about furniture and, and that they should coexist in a really livable you know positive way a hundred percent i completely agree with that and i do think that every year that goes by we're in that moment or the the moment is there that gets larger and larger larger where the combination of art and design is definitely happening more and more having said Mm -hmm. that you would be shocked at how many people have amazing art collections that don't have houses that are very nice or people who have stunning <laughs> architecture who don't have good art and good design or they have great design and the house isn't that great and the art's not that great. In fact, I've been on panels before to discuss that. The people who really get it all right um, in the totality of 7 billion people on this planet is a very, very, very small number. But, but because of what you're saying, it is growing. People are a lot mm. more educated. There's a lot more access, a lot more exposure, and people are getting more sophisticated about it, which is great. I love it. Do you feel an intimidation from the art world or any disdain from the art world towards designers? 30 years ago, yes, I absolutely did. And it was exactly that. It was like, oh, you're a decorator. Oh, you're a designer. What do you want? What do you know? (laughs) And um, I would say that today that's a very, very different thing. Uh, Right. 
I think that the gallery's um, court designers, and certainly I, you know, have developed very, very strong relationships with all the galleries, and um, that I think they all have a lot of respect for me, and I've, mm. you know, had a lot of ga- gallerists come to my projects and be impressed, and et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, yeah, I think it's very, very different. I guess you take on an art advisor role. If you're working with clients and they want to build like an art collection, if they look at what you collect and your influences and your connections, I guess in some ways you are working as a curator for their houses as an art advisor. I, we do the whole gamut. We have um, people who are serious collectors that have been collecting for years and buy all their own art. We have collectors that are serious collectors and they have an art consultant. We have some that are aspiring serious collectors and they have an art consultant. We have clients who like my taste in art and I build collections with them and I've built some very substantial collections with them. We have young people who, you know, come or even middle-aged people who come and they're, you know, want to do something different in their life and they not only want to have art, but they know that like art's part of the game, which is interesting because I just had this conversation yesterday with someone, you know, when I started in this business, it was very, very difficult to get most people to spend any money on art. You know, I got really lucky with this first client. It was amazing. But after that, you know, for the first 15 years, I did it and I pushed it and, but it was a struggle. Now it's, it's just an expectation. Like most sophisticated yeah. people who are going to hire someone like me and spend a considerable amount of money, they know that they have to have an art budget and they want to have an art budget. What, what's nice. your favorite type of collector? Someone who is already collecting or someone that you can help collect or a young collector? Who, when, when a client Yeah, I mean, the ideal, the, the ideal is someone who is aspirational. Someone who's yeah. collected for a really long time tends to be a problematic client. They, they, you know, they're, no, they really do. They, 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 they just, you know, they're, they're already have a level of expertise and it, and oftentimes, and if they're a big collector, they tend to, you know, it, it ends up being like a competition and somehow that's not really that gratifying. It's more right, gratifying yeah. to be with someone who, you know, they're learning from you. I, I learned so much from my clients too. It's, there's an interchange um, and maybe I learn things about them that are, you know, about, you know, uh, business or, you know, that kind of stuff. And they're teaching this kind of stuff yeah. and I'm teaching them about art and design and culture and all that kind of stuff. And it's a nice sort of interchange. Uh, but say, I would say someone who's, you know, aspirational and wants to build a collection and they want to have like, you know, a beautiful home or homes and you know they want to have you know interesting furniture and design and they want to live live well and all that sort of stuff like yeah that's the best client for sure and how what, what about your own collection because i i noticed that you seem to have a lot of photography and that seems to be like a big part of your collection but you've even got amazing paintings by like joan mitchell i saw a is that your house that one the joan mitchell no that's unfortunately not that i bought that for a ah. client but that's not mine i wish it was god i love that painting because i was like he's <laughs> got beautiful. a joan mitchell from like that's 1958 gorgeous. it's exactly. such a beautiful i love that whole room as well yeah. but um oh, so your you. own collection how, how did that grow and and why photography i started collecting in the late 80s and i uh that's all i could afford you know it was the most affordable mm. thing at the time and I also liked it a lot. And so that's kind of how I got into it. And I've continued to collect photography. And I have a pretty big photography collection. I own like, probably like, I don't know, several hundred photographs. Um, wow. And, um, and then, I, you know, then 
most of the kind of like, you know, large scale artists and things like that, that I like and would like to collect are outside of my budget. So maybe like about six or seven years ago, I decided I was going to start collecting small paintings by important artists and that don't cost more than like $50,000 and that that would be my opportunity to uh, collect, you know, the important artists of the day in a way that I could afford it. I saw an amazing work on paper by um, Stanley Whitney in one of the installations. And you obviously got that before Stanley was that well known, because I think it's an an older one, no? Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, for sure. Yes. And I know Stanley. He's so so nice and his wife is fantastic. She's a great artist too. Yeah, Um, Marina. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, Marina. They're fantastic. Super nice people. I love them both. Who's in your photography collection? I've, I know that you collect Wolfgang Tillmans, who's a former talk art guest and like my hero. Yeah, I own a lot of his photographs. Um, I own um, uh, Richard Mizrock, Alex Soth, Frank Thiel, Mitch Epstein, uh, Candida Hoffer. There's another Hoffer who is English, whose name I can't think right now, that I also own. Uh, Gursky. Um, a lot of, you know, I have a lot of photography also that, you know, like I have an amazing photographer from Argentina named Santiago Porter that I own a bunch of photographs by. Um, I have works by, uh, oh, I can't even remember all the names right now. A lot. Uh, a lot, a lot. I've read you had like 150 artists or something. It's yeah, it's something a, like that. A huge collection, yeah. And a lot, of, a lot of artists that I like, you know, end up buying several works by them because I like them so much. And what um, advice would you give to budding collectors or people who don't have huge budgets? Because I know you just said that you didn't have a huge budget to begin with, and that's why you went to photography. Because I noticed in one of the installations, you've actually got a series of prints by David Trigley, which um, the company that I'm the director of, Counter Editions, we actually made those prints. And they're obviously the idea behind that business is for affordable you know big names at affordable prices um right. what what kind of advice because also i've seen amazing things you've done where you've like found vintage flags of different countries like america sure. or the union jack from england and you know really fun kind of ideas well i think you can definitely be creative that's for sure the truth and i think but i think if you want to collect whatever you want to collect if you want to collect art photography you want to collect ceramics anything like you know do a little research you you don't have to be in a rush. Go out and you know see as much as you can. Go to museums. Go to galleries. Go to flea markets. Go to you know sales. All that kind of stuff. And sort of like figure out what you like, and then figure out based on like what you like, like what you can afford. And there's just and today's there's so much uh, availability and just you know the world is so open in terms of finding stuff. And I think right. for me that the the way that I I judge things more on like how I, I I'm, I'm not an academic collector. I'm really like a visceral collector. And so for me, it's like, what does that piece make me feel like? What does it mean to me? How do I respond to it? That's the first thing. The second thing is how much does it cost? Well, if it's $500 or a thousand dollars, then I can say like, well, that's a pair of shoes or a cashmere sweater or whatever. And I might like this more than either of those things. And, you know, if it turns out to be worth something over time, that's great. And if it's just always only just worth $500 or a thousand dollars and I love it and I'm going to enjoy it, who cares? And then just as the things get more and more expensive, you just have to like value, how do you value it? And then you get to a point where you like, you have to start doing research and checking out and making sure that like, you know, it makes sense and all that. But 
overall, I don't believe in buying art to make money. I don't believe, I don't think it's a bad investment. I think it's been, it's been a great investment for myself and for a lot of my clients, but myself and most of my clients aren't buying it necessarily to make a good investment out of it. But I've created collections for people. Larry Gagosian gave you advice at one point, didn't he? He hundred percent did. He he's and he says he's known to say this. He, he said, you know, buy just buy the best that you can buy it. If if you like something and you can afford it, then buy it. You know, make the best deal you can, whatever you know, whatever that is. But like, you know, I think that that's great. Totally, totally. So I think you might think like me, Robert, because I, I a lot of my friends think I'm completely nuts that they will come <laughs> to my apartment one week and then they come to my apartment a couple of weeks later and they're like, you've moved everything around. There's different art up. You've moved that chair over there. That bowl suddenly somewhere else. You've then brought this bowl in. Do you get like a bit overwhelmed with just how much amazing kind of design and furniture and objects and art that you have that you kind of change your interiors of your own personal spaces all the time? Well, I completely understand what you're saying. And I yeah. collect at that level that I have that many things. I don't change stuff probably as often as you do. I feel like I'm a Libra and Libras are always seeking balance. And so I, my home for me is like a sanctuary and it's a place for me to sort of have peace. And so, and I spend my day making homes for other people, changing things around, putting them together, doing all that kind of stuff. And so when I get home, I don't really want to change stuff that much. I do. And I'll have like, you know, and and, and usually it's, it becomes the result of like, I have to do a photo shoot and it needs to look different or yeah, you know, something like that. Or I'm going to have a party. Your, yeah. I'm having a party and I have a bunch of, you know, right now I have in my living room on the, I have this salon style wall with two huge Wade Guidons and then about 20 other different things. And below mm, it yeah. are probably 25 pieces of art that are, some are open, some are still in the boxes that are all lined up there in a very stylish artsy way. But you know, that's I haven't even taken those things out of the box. So one day, yeah. you know, I'll call up my hanger or whatever, or I'll have somebody will be like, you know, they want to do a portrait here, they want to or something, or some magazine nubs need something thing, and then I'll redo that whole wall with all that new stuff, and I, that's how kind of it happens for me. You must you must feel a pressure though, like uh, constantly, because now your your kind of calling card is your personal interiors. That you you've got this amazing book out, Robert Still in Interiors, which I've got in front of me, which is phenomenal. And the Wade Guidons you were just talking about are on the cover. But you must yes. have like a lot of people kind of judging your taste and style. Is that quite? Do you feel the pressure now that you're at this because you're as Rob said, you're AD one hundred Architectural Digest one hundred royalty. You are like the top, <laughs> top 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 of the top of your game. Do you feel that pressure? I don't really feel pressured now. I mean, I really love what I do and I don't really ever feel like it's work. And I f- do feel confident in my taste and my skill. And I mean, there might be some people who don't like what I do and that's okay. Or they may, maybe they just don't understand it. <laughs> I'm joking, your, how but... would you define your taste? <laughs> uh, my personal taste? Yeah. My personal taste, I would say, is um, it's based in all the things that I care about the most which is really comfort and form and function and then from there it goes up to like you know the the aesthetic visual value and then i would just say generally i like i want i like warmth comfort i like uh um i definitely like things a little bit more masculine i like things a little 
kind of like my art even is tends to have a little bit of darkness in it. There are a lot of, I own a lot of like beautiful photographs that people oh that's so beautiful, but then there's like a backstory that's a little dark behind it. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm attracted to that sort of things. I mean, I see like there's beauty in everything. There's beauty, something could be sort of considered ugly and then you could take a photograph of it and it could come this, become this beautiful thing. And I mm-hmm. appreciate that sort of thing. Um, yeah. So my, I mean, my taste is like, it's definitely layered. And I think layering creates sort of like a, a, a sense of depth and character and a mix of like textures and materials. It creates interest. And so, uh, and just warmth. Like I, I always say that today, um, if you live in a brand new home or apartment, or if you live in something that's even several hundred years old, so that's been completely renovated, it's essentially new. And all the sort of like depth and character has been taken out of it. So these layers of like, carpets layered on top of carpets and cashmere bed and an alpaca blanket and you know beautiful ceramics and all the art and salon style and all this kind of stuff it creates a, a depth and layer that brings in some like a feeling of history and some kind of sense of purpose that you're surrounded by something that makes you feel good it makes you feel safe and mm. that's what i'm attracted to and what i kind of do if that makes yeah. sense. I don't know if that makes sense, but I really like the story of of, of a. I think I think yeah. you've you've got a chair that you reupholstered and you found it in a market, maybe in Paris or Berlin, definitely in Europe, and then you brought it to America and then you reupholstered it in a kind of um, cowhide or something. And you were talking about how you live with that and that you didn't sort of um, restore every part of it, so it still have, has the kind of history of its life before you had it. Well, the truth is Which, that I, I didn't reupholster it. No, this is, I'm talking about, that's like a, uh, a Bogue Mogensen. Um, that's right. 1960s wing chair with the original leather on it. And yeah. yes, it, what, it, what it means is that, you know, that chair has had, uh, let me see, 40, 50, 60 years of life. It has history. If you take, if you go and get a brand new chair and put it next to it, it has it has no history. It has no life in it. And when you that's the that's the beauty of like vintage furniture and antique furniture. It comes with a story. It comes with the past. It comes with generations or you know decades or whatever it is that has a soul to it. And all these different soulful things mixed together create something that has meaning versus as opposed to just like you know a white box or just like a new. Everything is new and kind of antiseptic. Mm. I think the word you used was patina. Yes, pa- Sorry, yes, I- patina, one hundred percent. Patina, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I like patina, but patina. I prefer patina, but but we call it patina. <laughs> I, I think patina, but patina is quite quite nice. Sounds <laughs> like my drag name. <laughs> it should be. Looking at all these interiors in your in your uh, images, is that there's so many um, incredible uh, furniture designers in there that. I, I kind of appear a, a lot, like Jean Royer and Charlotte Perriand, Paul Kajaya home, Pierre Generet, yep. Pierre Chapo. These all feel like um, the masters of design that that feed into all of your projects. Do you have? Are they like? Do you have staple designers that you go to and trust? I mean, those are all. You know, those a lot of those names are super fashionable right now, but I've been yeah. collecting them and using them. I work you know, for 30 years, which is mm-hmm. fine. And, and, you know, I'm attracted to what I'm attracted to. And somebody recently asked me about trends and like, you know, and my answer yeah. was, I don't do trends. I don't believe in trends. I don't even know what a trend is, but, um, 
I really, for me, it's about, you know, what's the project, what's what, like, what's the need, what's the use and all those kind of like more practical things. And then like, what do I like for that? And I'm, I'm really, that's how I'm sort of like acquiring things, buying things, yeah. putting things Who together. Who should we be it's looking at about, now then, Robert? If these are if these are the people that are kind of fashionable now, and you've you've been using them thirty years, who who should we be looking at now, uh, and how do you find these? Now um, you're stressing me out. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what. The next time I'm allowed to come to Europe, you you can come and meet me in Paris, and we'll go shopping in the markets, and I'll tell you that you should buy that, and you should buy that, and you should buy that, and then you'll yeah, then yeah. you'll know. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, okay, I don't so I don't know for sure. I think that like. Brown yeah. furniture will have a resurgence. I, 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 brown? I, I think, yeah, I do. I, I think that what's there's brown, a lot of... What's brown furniture? You know, like just like, an, like classic antique, like English furniture that's like mahogany with like a brown stain on it, that, you know, that kind of stuff, like more traditional kinds of stuff. But I've always used it in my work. And if you really look at my book, you, you, you might not notice it so much because it tends to be a little bit more of a staple and I'll take like a classic antique table and then I'll put like, you know, a modern, a modern lamp on it and some contemporary yeah. sculpture and, you know, beautiful books and all this kind of suddenly it's become this whole different thing, which is also, you know, something that I do and that I'm good at. I'm take, I'm drawing all this stuff from the past and I would never like, I love Danish furniture, you know, sixties, fifties, seventies, all that stuff. But if you go back and you look at the books from that furniture, when it was installed, I hate it. Like it's just an entire room of Danish furniture. Not for me. I, I've done, I have no interest. Just like, I don't really, I'm not really attracted to like a period, you know, 18th century room particularly either. I, maybe a little bit more so, but I wouldn't want to live in it. Um, it's more about pulling yeah. things and then recreating something new for today and mixing it with technology and everything that we have in our lives today that didn't exist then. But, and, and, and the, a big element about it beyond the beauty and the aesthetics is, is it comfortable? Does it work? And also it has a soul. Yeah. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry and some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Can we do a bit of role play, Robert? Sure, of course. So I'm coming to you. I, me and my partner have just bought this house in Margate that we need to do up uh, somewhere we can go by the sea, which is in the Kent coast in the UK. So I'm okay. calling you up now, and I, and I want to work with you. What sort of questions do you ask me? If I go like, hi, Robert, I'm Russell. I've got this house in Margate. I've seen your book. I think you're amazing. How could we collaborate on doing my house? I would want to know more about the house. You know, you tell mm-hmm. me where it's located, what kind of house is it, how big is it, uh, what mm-hmm. are your plans, what's your schedule, 
Um, do you have any photographs? Can you send me the plans? Um, I would start with things like that. Mm-hmm. And so when then I say, right, okay, I've got art, uh, but I've also got uh, furniture that I want to put in there. Would you look at what I've got and say yes, or would you advise me to add more pieces? He'd advise you to I, sell it all and start again. <laughs> I would look at, I would completely look at everything that you have and I would yeah. be completely open to using anything that I thought was good for, for the, the next phase of your life or anything that was really important to you. And if, if there was anything that was debatable, like there was something that you were really holding on to that I didn't think was right, I would tell you, but I also would let you keep it and, you would then Just realize much later in the process that I was right. It would come to me and you'd say, you know, Robert, you were right. That chair's totally wrong. We've got to get rid of it. But I would 100% indulge people. I'm not, I, I don't like to be the dictator person. I, I don't think it's necessary. I think it's a process. Yeah. The whole design thing is a process. It should be fun. It should be interesting. You know, it, 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 you know people come with stuff. Let's, yeah. deal, let's look at your stuff. If I hated all your stuff, you I would charge? tell you. How do you charge I, for that then? So then I go, right, how, right I've got this budget. Or how, how do you budget for things? Uh, how do I budget? Well, um, I just make up a budget based on you know, <laughs> past experience. <laughs> um, how do we budget? We, we're, my, we're very, very uh, business-oriented, and we, we work for all super successful business people, and we do budgets for everything. Um, so I mean, we'd have a budget conversation and, you know, I might ask you if you had a budget and, you know, if you did, that would be a starter. I, if you asked me how much I thought it would cost based on the information that I had, I would, I maybe would give you a range. Um, or in the end, I would say that, um, I would give you a budget that would be a preliminary budget that would be a budget that could be potentially a little bit less, could easily be a little bit more, but it could get you the interior, an interior that's comparable to anything that you've seen that I've done. Right, right, right. Right, right, right. Okay. That's good. And how do you feel? How are my answers? Am I like, what's my, no, your, your, your answers are great. Your answers are great. Um, so I'm, yeah, about the, about the, uh, and I've lost my thread then. I was getting involved in, in imagining imagining my house looking like one of your interiors. Sadly, and sadly, <laughs> I am uh, not known to be inexpensive. That's what I've I, heard that's that. the question I was asking. Can we, ask a, can we ask a personal question? What is kind of your starting rate? If you were to take on a project, what is your sort of going rate? Um, well, in the United States. Yes. You're not in the United States. Uh, in the United States, it's... It's very difficult for us to take on a project that has a budget of less than a million dollars. It's just the wow. way that my office is set up and the way that we function that we kind of need like a million dollar interior budget. Per per job, per kind of project. For a job, yes. Amazing. Wow. But you know, but I'm but, but you're major, but, you are royalty. But, <laughs> but it all depends. You know, that's also probably like, you know, uh like a you know would be for a um, for like a house or an apartment not a not a really big one but like you know a decent sized mm-hmm. one so you know s- s- that's kind of like a god like you know if somebody has I mean I could do a really nice two bedroom apartment for less than that 
Mm. Right, extremely yes. less. Because but... <laughs> your partner depends. It just depends. It depends. It depends. And actually, one of your most uh, well-known projects was a house that you lived in for about 18 years or so. And I think you've recently um, sold it. Is that right? The one in... Um, I haven't sold it. It's on the market. Too, oh, you have, so it's on the yes, market. Sorry, it's just come on the yes. market. Yeah. Yes. And it's a 5,000 square foot house. And I, it looks yes. so incredible. Um, so what, 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 what was it like doing that, um, you know, for yourself? Like a whole house, like a giant house? Um, it was super fun. I mean, I, I started building it, I guess, 20 years ago. And um, I, at the time, didn't really have that much money. So I built it on a shoestring and I mm. built the entire structure and then I finished the main part on the inside and then this, this, this secondary part, which we call the barn, I completed a couple of years after that. And then it just really has like evolved um, over the past 18 years. You know, I moved it into 18 years ago into what it is today and what you see in those photographs. And I think, like, I don't know if you if you read the foreword that Mayor Russ wrote in my book, but he said that my house especially, but my apartment as well, it's like life as autobiography. And it's really quite true. I mean, like I'm yeah. sitting in this room in my apartment. But I'm inspired I could by be that. Sitting, I could be sitting in any room in my house also or another room in this apartment. And I'm surrounded by the history of my life. Like mm-hmm. everything that I've acquired anything that I've made, I did it, you know, like I, I made this cashmere bed in this guest bedroom and then, you know, I, I, I chose the, the cashmere. I went to my upholsterer and I worked with them on the design. I, I remember the guys bringing it in who have been my movers for eight, 22 years and bringing it in and installing it. And, you know, it's like everything has a, it's a, it all for me, it says there's so much history and so many memories and everything. I, you know, it's like, you know, there's a beautiful lamp I bought in the flea market in Paris and something I brought, for, you know, two tables I bought from Liz O'Brien. It's a dealer that I've known for like, I don't know, 25 years. And, you know, I've made so many friends in the business and in the, you know, same thing with the art and the art world and, and you know, curators and gallerists and just all these different people. So there's so much history. But yeah. talking about the art world and as an avid collector, it's got you uh, to actually become part of the council for the Whitney Museum of American Art. Sure. Yes, I love the Whitney. Yeah, I love the Whitney. It's one of my favorite museums in the world. How did that? How did that come about? And what what is your role there? And what is your responsibilities? For I'm that? just. I'm like on the. Dir- I've been on the. I was on the. I've been on the directors council for a long, long time, which is really just like a group of collectors who uh, get together and like sort of talk about art. You do a lot of studio visits and go, there's like different trips and all that kind of stuff. And you know, you just like have like nice access to the sort of museum and obviously it, it's like you're also supporting the museum on a, at a very nice level um and i decided to you know maybe like 20 years ago or something like that you know i'm built i was an aspirational person i wanted to build a business and you can't be in business in new york and not have some kind of like social life and have like build uh a uh you know, presence for yourself. You have to be out and be mm. seen and people want to know who you know and all that kind of stuff. And so mm. I find a lot of that stuff to be very superficial and very fleeting and not really that appealing to me. So I decided to go and do the things that I just loved. So I was like, I like art. I'm going to pick the art world. I'm going to go and invest myself a little in the art world and get to know people and, you know, support mm. the museums. And, you know, I support a lot of different art organizations and it's, you know, it was gratifying and I met a lot of like, I've met over the years, many like 
very interesting, cool people that I've now known for 20 years. And it's just been a mutually beneficial thing for, you know, the art organizations and for me. And I, he- I heard you had a really inspiring friendship with um, Beth Rudin DeWoody and her family. Um, and for those who absolutely. don't know, she's like one of the best collectors ever. And um, very positive people in the world. She's a wonderful influence. Can you speak a bit about her and the impact she had on your life? Well, the way that I met her, which is about 20 years ago, is I'd hired this PR person in New York to help me get new clients. And like, you know, I didn't need, I was like, I don't need you to get me published. I already know all the editors. They like my work. If I have a project that's good for them, they're going to publish it. But I I I want to, I want you to introduce me to clients. So it was really expensive and I did it for like, you know, a long time and I was sort of getting to the end of my rope and she knew it. And she said to me, uh, are you going to, any chance you're going to go to Palm Beach this weekend? And I said, uh, yeah, actually I am. And she said, okay. She's like, well, I want you to go to this luncheon. It's for John Loring, who used to be the design director at Tiffany's. It's a very, very nice man. I think he just had a book out. It was a luncheon, blah, 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 blah. Again, not like, not so much my thing, but I was like, okay, fine, I'll go. So I go. And mind you, I had, I had already lived in Palm Beach at that point for, I didn't live there anymore, but I'd sort of been spending a lot of time there for already 15, 16 years. And I go to this luncheon and I'm seated next to Beth. And we basically, after five minutes, just spent the entire lunch talking to each other and completely didn't pay attention to any speeches or anything anybody said or whatever. And that was the beginning of our friendship. So my joke Aww. is that I paid $60,000 to become friends with Beth. And she tells that story too. <laughs> It's true. Um, but it was so ironic because I spent all these years in Palm Beach and I never knew her. And I like I think back to like my experiences there and how it would have been so different had I known her. But, you know, mm-hmm. she then just is a person that had a profound effect on me in the sense that at that point in my life, I was still uh, very I had I had a much more limited outlook and view at life I had blinders on and I was very specific about what I liked and what I didn't like and she taught me to open my eyes and you know it was like before I met her if I didn't like the way that a shop looked I wouldn't go in and she'd be like let's go in you don't know what you're gonna find I was like okay fine and then you know lo and behold you go in and there's the back of the store this ugly tacky place that's some amazing thing that you can't believe they ever had and you know she just a lot of things like that and she has such uh sort of like bravery and bravery with confidence in terms of like doing what she likes and believes in. And, um, yeah. and she's, she's very inclusive. She also, to me is a real collector. She, you know, oh, yeah. is, she buys art every single day. And mm-hmm. she also, she's not a person who consults ArtNet or any of those things before she makes a purchase. She, you know, she has a, a lot of knowledge. So that's great. But like, she bases, she does a version of what I said I do. She's like, she looks at it. She likes it. She asks the price. If she thinks it's fair, she pays it. If she thinks it's expensive, she asks for a better price and, you know, mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. But it's like, she makes the deal and then she moves on to the next thing. There's no like, oh, I don't know. I'm not sure. Let me see. I've got to talk to my accountant. I have to like, you know, mm-hmm. I got to see what, how it sold at auction and this and that. And it's like, it's a $5,000 piece of art. You don't really need to do all that stuff. It's not, you know, if it's a $50 million piece, okay, fine. But, you know, people yeah. overdo so much of all this stuff and make the fun of it not that much fun. She has fun. Yeah. And also yeah. I think buying what Absolutely. you love and having confidence in what you love 
is a really important thing, isn't it? And you must have 100%. that, you know, with having confidence in your own vision, you know, to, to do I was just job, with her it? last week down in Palm Beach and she, she was like, come over to my warehouse. She's just got this new <laughs> warehouse where she's kind of like putting, it's going to be a lot of art, but well, she's got a lot, she's trying to like reduce her inventory of like antique and vintage furniture. And she's like, I, I want to get rid of all this stuff. And, but you, she like literally it's just like what i was saying about me this history of her life she's like i bought this here and i bought this there and i did that this da, da, da. it's like it's like it's fascinating like and it's just always interesting and she has such passion for it i, I love that do you still have a bucket list uh for like work the projects that you want to create in the future and for things that you want to acquire and be around I mean, I think for projects, I mean, I, I have yet to do a hotel, which I would love to do that. Um, mm-hmm. I, I mean, like what I really would love to do is like design my own sort of like group of hotels and like all the places that I like to go to the most and design, you know, a unique hotel for each place. That would be super mm-hmm. fun. I uh, would like to work in Europe um, and I'd like to have European clients in Europe. Or they could be American come clients, to too, but I actually would prefer to have European clients. Um, you should come to Margate, Robert. Absolutely. You should yeah, you need to okay, do Russell's well. new house in Margate. There you go. <laughs> I, can't, I can't give you a million dollars, though. Sorry, mate. It's more, 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 more than the actual we, house. We could talk. We could talk. <laughs> um, have you ever read any nightmares, any nightmare clients, anyone that's just been like like horror stories? Uh, yeah, I have a couple. Not many, but a few. Can you, what, can you tell us one? Like, I mean, I can't name names. No, no, no. I had one client who is a well-known person who uh, used to, she did this thing where she would come to the meetings and we would have a whole presentation ready for her and she would say, "Um, I went shopping too. And I would say, okay. So she'd pull out her stuff and she'd go through all her stuff and then she would be sitting there on the table next to her and she'd say, I like mine better. Do you mind? (laughs) No way. I'm like, what do you, so eventually we just kept saying, okay, fine. And we're a shopping service basically to her. And she wouldn't listen to anything. I went to Europe with her. I, I, I was like, you wow. know, you could, you could get this chair. Nope. I got to get that one. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> it comes to the installation and we're installing it. And I'm not there that particular day or whatever. I'm at the office and she called me. She's like, we have a problem. So I go over there. She's like, I don't like this. <laughs> she's like, I don't like this chair. I'm like, you picked that chair. She's like, I don't like this. I'm like, you don't like it. Like you didn't listen to anything that I said. Like you picked all this stuff yourself. She's like, but I hired you to protect me. I said, I tried to tell you and you didn't listen to me. Oh, so, wow. That is so how did that, that was the end of that. And she, by the, I was happy. Did she to, still pay? Uh, did she still pay you for the, for your time and everything? Or how does that all work after that? Yeah, pretty much. Mostly there was like a few things that, you know, work, she didn't like, she should have paid for them a hundred percent, but I just wanted to take the high road and end it nicely. So maybe I like mm. ate one thing yeah. or two things and moved on. And I read, I read somewhere that your dream um, client who you haven't worked with yet, but you would like to work with was Lady Gaga. Is that I would true? love to work with her. Absolutely. No, very awesome. much. And what, why Gaga? I love her by the way. I mean, she's, you know, she's just a person that's appealing to me. It's like, it's not, there's plenty of people that I, you know, would, it would be interesting and fascinating to work with. I just, I'm interested in creative people. And I think mm-hmm. in my career, creative people, like entrepreneurial people, people who know how to recognize talent and creativity and hire people and let them do their job, they're the best clients. Mm-hmm. Like, right, you know, right, right. 
I don't want to have a client who just like some people think that the best client ever is somebody who's just like, oh, here's $10 million. I'll see you in a year. That's also the worst client. It's that's such a crapshoot. How would you ever know? And every single thing that I told you about how I do these interiors that, you know, some people love it's a collaboration it's like by spending yeah. time with people. Like, so if they just disappear yeah. and give me a bunch of money, like I, it's who knows what it's going to turn out to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And your son's gone into the business. He has, he's, he's works in, um, for a company called Ash, which does staging, which has become very, very, very popular here. I think it's popular in England too. Um, and he is the director of operation for the staging of Ash, which is a pretty big business. And he's going to be 26 years old and he's doing great. Yeah, I'm very proud. Can you explain what staging is? A staging is if you had an apartment or a house in Margate um, that you were trying to sell and it wasn't selling, your real estate broker oh. would come in and say like, Russell or Robert, you should stage this. And you, they come in and they basically decorate what they do in american beauty what she does in american beauty where they kind of make make the house look livable yeah exactly your interior so someone can walk in and go this is a lifestyle right exactly basically they they make it look good to sell it my son dylan's company happens to be one of the very few that's really good at it and they actually make it look like it's you know really like architectural digest worthy kind of in in a way in fact they're the only firm that does that kind of stuff that's on the architectural digest ad 100 um so they're they're very good at it they it's very aesthetic and really very very good looking and appealing and they have a very good success rate with their work actually selling the houses or the apartments does he come to you for advice sure of course absolutely that's nice that's nice Um, and sometimes i go to him for advice you do? That's great. You do? That's so cool. I bet yeah, he, he sure. must feel really humbled by that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh. Although he's the new generation. Mentoring each other. Can, yeah, he can give exactly. you a different perspective. So what, 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 what is it like to... Um, I, I noticed that you'd had like a decade now of being in L Decor's top 25 A-list designers. Sure. Um, is, there, is, is there a secret to your kind of the longevity in your career? I mean, I think it's really just uh, hard work... A lot of hard work, you know, we work very, very hard. Uh, my business, what I do is a luxury. Nobody has to do it. Um, there's a lot of people mm. who do do it. And, you know, it's about service and, and, and doing a great, great job. And, but it's not just about like, you know, making it all look beautiful. It's, it's about getting it done on time and getting it done mm. on budget and, you know, all, all those kind of things. And I take all that stuff very, very seriously. And, I'm a hard worker and my team all works super hard and uh, and I'm I feel like you know I'm always evolving as a human being and I'm evolving as an interior designer and a creative person and you know you just have to kind of like I don't ever feel like I have to be one step ahead but I guess maybe like I kind of am one step ahead in that sense yeah. and mm-hmm. you know have and and thanks to people like Beth who taught me to be a more courageous person you know she's a re- wonderful mentor to me like mm-hmm. I have you know at 55 years old developed that ability at some point in the i don't know past to be able to like uh just do that and you know people really at the level that i'm working if they're buying confidence they want you to be confident they want you yeah. to mm-hmm. give them straight answers um and i, I i'm just you know i'm good at, I, I, I i'm good at what i do and and i love doing it which I think, you know, is the biggest key of all. If you love what you do. My dad told me, if you love what you do, it'll never feel like work and you'll always be <laughs> successful. 
Love that. So, I, I also yeah. heard a word that uh, your friends described your projects as being authentic beyond anything else. And I think that authenticity is also why people would trust, you know, because it's a lot of yeah. trust to, to, put, yeah, so to spend that money to like, you know, yeah. to, let, to let you into their private world, all of these things. But, but um, I spend I really my clients' money that. like it's my own money. I, I right. mean, I really do. I, and, I, and I tell, you know, I tell my people, the people, everyone who works for me, I say like, you know, if you think, if you get a quote for something and you think it's really expensive, our clients are going to think it's really expensive too. Because our mm -hmm. clients, for the most part, are all self-made people. They're all hardworking people. And, and I've also, it's, you know, another thing that I've just learned over the past 30 years of this career is like, I feel like for me anyway, like we attract what we are and my clients are another version of me. You know, they're all like, some of them came from nothing. Some of them came from a nice family, had a good education, but you know, nobody got a trust fund or whatever. And everybody, they, we all went out there. We worked hard. we followed our dreams and our passions. And, you know, we're all lucky enough to be successful at whatever level of success that we have. And, and so everybody, all my clients, like no matter if they're a billionaire or whatever they are, they all value things and, and they, and, 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 they're just, there's just like a realness to the whole thing. And I never, ever lose sight of that. Mm. Right on. Love that. Love that. Well, Robert, we ask every guest that comes on two very important questions. The first one is, if you could do an art heist, you could do an imaginary theft of any work of art in the world. It could be any size, a building, a painting, a sculpture, a, a car. What would it be and why? Okay, well, normally when I get asked those kinds of questions, I say I don't know because there's so many choices. But I decided <laughs> yes. to really step up to the plate today and really make yes. a choice. Thank you. And we so love I, was Thank you. I was thinking about just my life and art and my exposure to it and all that kind of thing. And the one, you know, because I have this rule also about art. Like if I see something and maybe it's a little too expensive or I'm just not sure, whatever, like I just live with it. And like if I keep thinking about it every day, then at some point, like, I know, like, I should buy that piece of art. So that's one of my tests. So I was thinking of applying that to myself and this question, and, you know, what's, you know, one piece of art that has just been in the back of my head my whole life or for some, my adult life? And I would have to say it's a Cy Twombly chalkboard. And, really? Uh, yeah. I, I remember in the late 80s getting to go to a really, I think, extraordinary house in Palm Beach. It was owned by this man named Howard Giddis, who was Ron Perlman's right-hand man. It was decorated by a, a gentleman who's dead now. His name is Kevin McNamara. It was very, like, this beautiful Coquina, uh, Maurice Fascio house built in the 20s, completely restored. But, like, you know, it, it was it had every convenience of 1988, but at the same time, it was an old house, incredible property, beautiful pool. It had guests east and guests west. And, you know, this is 35 years ago. I was, like, so impressed. And it was just so rich and chic and elegant. And you walk into this huge drawing room with coffered ceilings that are all painted and whatever. And, you know, it's, it's, it's very, like, you know, elegant and uh deep, rich colors and a lot of prints and, you know, more traditional decor, but, like, right on this gigantic wall was the biggest Cy Twombly chalkboard I ever saw in my life. And I was like, oh my wow. God, I want that. <laughs> and I wow. still love it to They're incredibly like timeless, 
timeless works, aren't they? Because you could almost, you can't quite work out when they are because they're so like modern and futuristic, but at the same 100%. time they have this like soulful kind of connection to the past or the human Absolutely. condition or something. They're very complex Absolutely. actually, those works. Yeah. And if I, could, if I had to do the heist, it would be, it would be yeah. fun to steal it from that house. Oh, oh it's still yeah. in, and it's still in that house. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I don't know. I would just hypothetically, if I was going to steal travel. it, I would. Yeah, we could go back and I could steal it from that house. Love. That would be fun. Very. Cool. It was a chic, very chic house that had a big impact on me, actually, in terms of design. And I don't think it was ever even published. Amazing. But sometimes that happens. You turn up at like a collector's house. Rob's taken me to various collector's houses in the past, and you walk in and you're like, "Oh my god, this is what it yes. can be like. This is how you can live with art properly." It's it's amazing. Absolutely. Yep. And they yeah, they affect you. I was almost wondering whether you were going to say a sculpture because there's something definitely a thread in your interior designs where a lot of the furniture itself can become quite sculptural Absolutely, and you seem to have a real true. affinity to even like your shelving units I've noticed and like the shapes of a lot of the chairs yes they look very comfortable but from the side of them um, you often have these kind of metal frames or you know yes you're, very 100%, sculptural you're 100% right yeah elements. and I care very so, much about that but if they're right, not comfortable right. they don't they don't get included yeah. <laughs> cool. The other um, question we ask every guest is, what is your favorite color? I mean, probably like net, net all the way around. My favorite color is navy. Navy? Mm. Navy, yeah. Mm. I like to live what, with my navy? house and my apartment. Are Most of the fabrics that are in my house and apartment are navy and brown. Then some usually with like a punch of color, like a beautiful like burnt orange or a burn very deep red uh, but not a lot i also happen to like a really 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 dark green but navy mm. and, br and brown are my favorites for, what do also you think navy is my navy favorite, favorite color for clothes also yeah 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 well i've seen a lot of pictures of you in navy with like like sexy posed with your bare feet out <laughs> <laughs> looking all having yeah, you said have that, your feet out you having have... said that you you yeah, asked about, everyone's well, seen your favorite feet. One, <laughs> you asked me what my favorite was, but I also, I love color too. I love lavender and, you know, I like, I like a lot of different colors that I like pink and, um, we, we do a lot more color in for clients than we do than I do necessarily personally for myself. But yeah, yeah. What do you think of this Navy kitchen trend that seems to be everywhere at the moment? I feel like I started it. I did my kitchen that way 20 years ago. Did you? <laughs> My kitchen actually in the Hamptons right here. <laughs> is not, um, it's not navy. It's actually the deepest, deepest, deepest brown right before you get to black. But the dark color. I, I love dark kitchens. And there's a, bu there's a bunch in my book. I think they're yeah, fantastic. Yeah, there is, totally. And, but for me, it's not a trend. Like, to me, it's so timeless. Like, my kitchen, which is in the book, is 20 years old. And it looks fantastic. One of my um one of my favorite spaces you've you've done is with that Rothko painting in a bedroom and you've got right. this kind of beautiful red bed and then a kind of um almost like linen sort of lilac uh lamp shade. And I was obsessed right. with that lampshade for some reason. Oh, so cool. It's really beautiful, beautiful. installation. That Where bed I actually that... I did that was a custom bed that I did with Maria Pergay, who Yes. I adore some, an incredible person. And I used to go to, I would go to Paris while we were doing that. And I'd meet her at a cafe outside on, you know, on the side of the street. And she would just draw all these fanciful drawings on like a cocktail napkin, mm. <laughs> which 
basically wow. became the drawing for that bed, which was not inexpensive. <laughs> and but was, you have a shop as well, don't you? I used to have a shop in the Hamptons. I started as a shopkeeper. Yeah. At the moment, I have a shop at 200 Lexington. Um, they On the 10th floor, they have kind of like it's it's sort of similar to a flea market in the sense there's like 65 dealers everybody has a small space and you know i have like a maybe like a 800 square foot space there yeah what and you 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 go around picking things for that yeah yeah yourself i do i also saw that you don't you sell things on first dibs as well the website i i do first dibs in collect yes Mm. what was that second one what one i don't know that one in In collect Yes. Okay. Don't know that. In collect. And um, I also saw that you curated a show for Sotheby's at one point. I have done that. Yes, absolutely. What, like what was that, that like as an experience? Was that challenging or exciting? Uh, and it was really interesting. <laughs> the, it was fun to do. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, and, I, and I've done a lot of things like that where you're sort of given, you have to pick from a certain amount of things and you have to just mm. make it work. So, so it's mm. like, you can do whatever you want, but there's limitations. It, it was interesting. The, the part that I remember the most was just dealing with the infrastructure of Sotheby's, which is just so antiquated and all their rules with the, the union and you can't touch this and don't touch that. And I'm used to touching everything. It's like, I like that. Let's try it here. I pick it up. I don't care. Like yeah. you can't touch that. You can't touch this. You can't touch that. That was not easy for me, but but it was a good experience and everyone was super nice and I enjoyed doing it. I also just recently did a similar kind of thing at Morgan Gallery in New York, which is currently up right now, actually. And that oh, was cool. really fun. And it was the same thing. I mean, they sent myself and two other designers. Uh, we each got like a, a third of the gallery and they sent us their entire inventory and they're like, you know, pick anything wow. you want, make it into a room. So it was fun. Wow, I'd love that. So you're, you're yeah. basically a curator, aren't you? Yeah, for sure. A hundred percent. And I would like to do that. You know, you asked like, what what kinds of things would I like to do? I would like to do. I like doing that stuff, and I would like to do more of that. I I love, you know, curating uh, design and art and just kind of everything and showing people how you can live with art. And like that's, I do think, you know, one of the nice things about my book in particular is it does show people like, yeah, you can live with art, and and I and I Definitely. mean like you should live with it, like. You should drink your coffee. You should have parties. You should have sex. You should whatever. Like live with your live with it. If you can't enjoy it, don't do it. That's how I feel. You know. Yeah, and and I I think I used to find it all quite intimidating. Like you'd go to I used to go to houses in like L.A. when I first started working at the gallery, and you just felt like you couldn't touch anything, or even like right. they give you a glass of water and you couldn't put the water down anywhere. Yeah. Because it was so pristine and like I don't know, just so over the top, and everything felt like it was so valuable. But I think what I love about what you do is that you can have all these expensive objects, but but they look like domestic, you know, wonderful, rich interiors that you can. Yeah, yeah exactly. So well, I always so say to my client, I'm like, do you want to live in a museum? Yeah. Like if you, if you really, if yeah. that's what you want, if you want like one chair and one lamp and two tables and mm-hmm. a lot of huge paintings and, you know, all, everything's white and all that, like, great. It's not a very enjoyable life. It's not comfortable. It's just, mm. it's just, you're living in an institution. And I think that's mm-hmm. why we have institutions. So I just tell them like, build a museum. Yeah, yeah, instead of doing Absolutely. it in your home. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. It's just made me think about something. When we were talking about set design and like your apartment's looking like staging and we talked about staging and it makes me think of like the theatre like as a, uh, an actor as well. But I'm, I'm looking around my house now doing this and I think, you know what, I feel like I, you kind of cast 
the interior of your house and you have like your lead actors and actresses and then you have your supporting parts. So like I've got this big table here and I'd say that's my lead actor and the couch is obviously a lead actor. And then you have like the lamp, which is a supporting actress or you have like the chairs, which are supporting the table. Do you, does that sort of element play into your thinking when you create a space? It's something that I've come to realize in my life, you know, in the reflective phase that it's, it's like a dance. And, but you could say exactly what you just said. You could say it's characters in a play or a movie or whatever. Yeah. And every piece is, it's like you bought the sofa. That's a supporting actor. You bought the stunning chair. That's one of the superstars or whatever. You know, like all these different things. And then yeah. every time you make a choice, it informs your other choice. And then, mm. you know, in the end, it creates, I always say it creates this dance and everything is sort of playing off of each other. And it might be exactly what you had in your mind when you started. Most often it's what you had in your mind, but just better. Mm. Especially if you're really Amazing. willing to like put yourself out there and take some chances and, you know, not be like, you know, too conservative and all that sort of stuff. In my experience, most of the time it works out to be even better than, I expected, and I think the clients would say the same thing. But it is. That's a very accurate way to put it, 100%. Yeah, I've just sort of realized that. But yeah, what an amazing uh, hour and a bit talking to you, Robert. Yeah, thank you so much. Absolutely, my pleasure. And we will will share images on our Instagram um, of all these different interiors. Uh, including yeah. the ones you did. Everyone should get galleries. your book, Robert Still in yes. Interiors. And, a, and actually, there's a there's a signed version of the book at the moment on the publisher's website where the money, I think $10 from each book is actually going to a COVID charity. Yes, that's um, true, absolutely. To the... Which um, is very cool. God's Love We Deliver, which you know feeds... Um, people in general, specifically people with HIV and AIDS and all that kind of stuff, but like, they would feed anybody. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Um, yeah, so we'll also they do a lot of great outreach and link to that. all that kind of stuff. It's an amazing place. Awesome. And um, are you on Instagram? Well, you are on Instagram. I am on Instagram, we of course. Both, we both follow you. But it's just at Robert <laughs> Stillin. Oh, yeah. Yes. I, I, you'll see it. And if you do follow it, you'll just see that every picture is liked by Russell Tovey. Liked by... <laughs> 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 Thank like, you, Russell. Like, 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 like. Yes, I'm your, big, I'm your, biggest, your biggest fan. fan. And then uh, hopefully we'll see you in Margate next year for my Absolutely. Yeah. Looking forward to <laughs> it. We'll talk, <laughs> we'll talk budgets when we get off the line here. And then, yeah, 100%. Awesome. <laughs> well, thank you All so right. much. Well, thank okay, you my much. pleasure. Great, great fun. Cheers, Robert. Um, thank and you. Thanks for listening. We'll be back very okay, soon. Have a great holiday. Bye. You've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamond and Russell Toby. Follow us on Instagram at Talk Art, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in today's episode with music by Jack Northover. Subscribe to Talk Art at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Give us a rating and write us a comment. Thanks for listening. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.